Thanks, Isaac. Thanks, team. Was that good or what? You've done it again. So good. Yeah, give him a clap. That's brilliant. Hey, it's a real privilege to be uh, sharing God's Word with you this morning. Um, we're continuing in our Under the Radar series. Under the Radar. Highlights from the Bible's most underread, underrated and under the radar books. So got you in? Listen, I've got a little confession just to get started. Because the idea of this is that we sort of dig into those little books that kind of get hidden. Those little books don't get hidden for me. Because I kind of go, oh, that's a little one. I could read that. You know what I'm talking about? So this morning I get to uh, share with you some thoughts that I've had uh, during the week around the book of Philemon. It's a great little book. It's actually a letter, a letter that Paul wrote to his good friend Philemon. Um, I'm Andrew, by the way. I, I have seen a few faces out there this morning that uh, I have, I'm not, not really familiar with. It's great to have you meeting with us and uh, we really treasure having you come and join us at New Vine this morning. So... Um, in the series, we look at uh, some gems. Uh, DJ looked at uh, Second John uh, last last week. It, it was great. Um, there was some really helpful stuff in there. I reckon about how we uh, hold together love and truth, um, loving and loving in a true way and truly loving. There was some great sort of thoughts there around Jesus uh, teaching us to obey, but you know his primary. Command when it comes to obeying is loving, and so uh, if you if you didn't have the opportunity to see DJ last week, I encourage you to go back online and watch it again. It'll certainly uh, help to stimulate your thinking. Next week, Cell's coming in to talk about Jude. I'm looking forward to that one. Are you looking forward to that one? Jude, there's a bit of going on in Jude. Anyway, uh, Philemon, a love friend of Paul. I can't help thinking that Philemon and the little church that met at, met at his house were pretty happy when they got the delivery of a letter uh, from their friend, their mentor and their father in the faith, Paul. But I'm, I'm, I'm sure they probably got halfway through the letter and the letter took a little bit of a turn and they went, what? <laughs> you, you want us to do what? But I do think the fact that we have this letter in our Bible as tough as the content in it is, it's a strong indication that it survived that Philemon and the little church that met at his house actually received this letter well. They received the encouragement in it. They received the toughness in it and received it well. So much so that they said, hey, we need to copy this letter and pass it on to some of those other little house churches that were meeting in their area. And this, and this, um, this letter becomes really quite formative in the thinking of Christian people in the first century about how they were to treat each other. I think it's interesting for us in this generation to realise that the early church was characterised by gatherings in homes. They didn't have gatherings like this. They gathered in each other's homes, a little bit like our life groups, I guess. So could that be my little plug for you to get ready for signing up for, for life groups next week? There are things that we can do together uh, as we gather around God's word uh, to pray for one another, to encourage one another and to discuss and sort of beat out our understanding of what the scripture is saying by asking questions and discussing those things. Now, a key word that we're going to run into in this scripture is the word koinonia. 
Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a little word that uh, I first learned when I volunteered for the Koinonia Coffee Shop. Is there anybody that still can remember the Koinonia Coffee Shop? It was <laughs> like a few of us. Uh, it was in the west end of Newcastle. Um, it used this name Koinonia. We said it a bit Aussie, Koinonia. You're going to notice on the Bible, um, on the Bible uh, project video a little later, they've got a Koinonia, which sounds much more posh than Koinonia, mate. But the Koinonia coffee shop uh, came out of a vision to be a place of rich fellowship, a place where Christians from churches all around the Hunter could come and share a cup of coffee and a chicken and cheese roll. Remember those ones, Stuart? Yeah, those with paprika on the top. Um, and, and it could be a place of, of people gathering across all of our different uh, denominational divides. But it was also a beautiful ministry of reaching out a hand uh, to those in the community. Of course, Newcastle was a little bit more... Uh, looked a little bit more like a bomb site 40, uh, 30 years ago and there was a lot of young people uh, sleeping rough and, and so it was an outreach to some of Newcastle's broken and busted young people and, and reaching out a hand of that fellowship and warmth to them. Now this word koinona, koinonia or koinonia if you want to say it really posh, uh, is usually translated into the word fellowship. Now, I remember running into the word fellowship for the first time too. About two weeks before I ran into the word fellowship, I had happened into a meeting where I'd heard the gospel of Jesus and I was one of those people they described as having a God drop. I had a, I had a, a very profound experience with Jesus. At the end of that meeting, I prayed and said, yes, Jesus, I want to live my life your way. I want to be a Christian. And so I came out of that meeting with a little Bible well, not a Bible, a bunch of things from the Bible that I could read. And I came out with the thought, I've become a Christian. I'd also written my name on a list, like you might do at the Life Group sign-up next week. And, uh, and I didn't quite know why I'd written my name on the list, but I'd written my name on the list and I'd gone off with my little book. And so for the next couple of weeks, I'm thinking I've become a Christian and I'm reading bits of the Bible and the Bible's jumping out to me. I was also studying at university at the time and I keep walking past these notice boards. You know how sometimes something unnaturally gets your attention? Well, there was this sign and it had Christian in the middle of it. On one side of the word Christian, it had this other word, evangel, even, how do you say that? I'd go evangelical. Ugh, I don't know what that is. That sounds creepy. Evangelical Christian. That's what I became. And then it had this other word, fellowship. Fellowship. Ooh, I don't know. What's that? Ugh, that doesn't sound any good. But a couple of weeks after that, I got an invitation. The phone rang and I got an invitation to come to the Evangelical Christian Fellowship. That word fellowship was kind of a bit scary for me at the time. It wasn't a word that I used it, but I accepted the invitation and I went along and I actually ended up finding Koinonia at the Evangelical Christian Fellowship. I found fellowship. I found a group of people who became a bunch of friends. They became partners. They became brothers and sisters in the faith. And as we look at it, that's what we're going to discover that this word koinonia means. Right, I'll tell you what I'm going to do now. I'm going to get us to read this. How does that sound? Now, I had an idea. Many of you perhaps don't realise that you can get your phone to read to you. Do you like being read to? 
So I thought I'd get my phone to read us the Bible today. How does that sound? So I'm going to read it. We get that first one up here. I think we can get this technology to work. Can we, Dan? We're going to find out. Anyway, let's go. Paul's letter to Philemon. Philemon 1. From Paul, a prisoner for the sake of Christ Jesus, and from our brother Timothy. To our friend and fellow worker Philemon, and the church that meets in your house, and our sister Arphia, and our fellow soldier Archippus. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Brother Philemon, every time I pray, I mention you and give thanks to my God. For I hear of your love for all God's people and the faith you have in the Lord Jesus. My prayer is that our fellowship with you as believers will bring about a deeper understanding of every blessing which we have in our life in union with Christ. Your love, dear brother, has brought me great joy and much encouragement. You have cheered the hearts of all God's people. For this reason, I could be bold enough, as your brother in Christ, to order you to do what should be done. But because I love you, I make a request instead. I do this even though I am Paul, the ambassador of Christ Jesus, and at present also a prisoner for his sake. So I make a request to you on behalf of Onesimus, who is my own son in Christ, for while in prison I have become his spiritual father. At one time he was of no use to you, but now he is useful both to you and to me. I am sending him back to you now, and with him goes my heart. I would like to keep him here with me while I am in prison for the gospel's sake, so that he could help me in your place. However, I do not want to force you to help me. Rather, I would like you to do it of your own free will, so I will not do anything unless you agree. It may be that Onesimus was away from you for a short time so that you might have him back for all time. And now he is not just a slave, but much more than a slave. He is a dear brother in Christ. How much he means to me, and how much more he will mean to you, both as a slave and as a brother in the Lord. So if you think of me as your partner, welcome him back just as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to my account. Here, I will write this with my own hand. I, Paul, will pay you back. I should not have to remind you, of course, that you owe your very self to me. So, my brother, please do me this favor for the Lord's sake. As a brother in Christ, cheer me up. I am sure, as I write this, that you will do what I ask. In fact, I know that you will do even more. At the same time, get a room ready for me, because I hope that God will answer the prayers of all of you and give me back to you. Epaphras, who is in prison with me for the sake of Christ Jesus, sends you his greetings. And so do my fellow workers Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. <laughs> How would you like to be trying to buy a car off Paul, eh? You negotiate you down or up, whichever way. Uh, no, it's a be- there's, there's a beautiful warmth about that letter, isn't there? But there's also this firmness. And as we unpack this and we, uh, we jump into the Bible project, uh, I sort of did this a bit unusually. I, th- I thought normally you do the intro before you read the scripture. But I thought I just want to let the scripture wash over us this morning and then go back and listen to the overview that the Bible College guys will, will um, the Bible project guys will give us. So koinonia, the word uh, that really central to this, it's it's a lay your life down kind of a word. It's not a couple.
cup of tea and a cucumber sandwich in the clubhouse sort of a fellowship. Uh, it, it is a laying down one's life for one another and that close um, partnership, um, sharing together. Um, many of the more modern uh, translations will use a word like partnership, participation, partnering together. And uh, I think for me, finally the word fellowship or, or started to make some sense when finally the Tolkien movies came out. Um, the guys in the Lord of the Rings and the Fellowship of the Rings, these are guys who are on a mission. They're in it together. They're fellows together on a battleship, not fellows together on a cruise ship. And so as we look at this word koinonia, it's a rugby scrum for those who are cheering England on last night. Is Carl here this morning? No. I'm sure he's on a high though. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a team working together in the peloton if you were up watching the, the Tour de France last night. Anyway, let's, um, let's just jump into uh, the Bible project and uh, I just want to, yeah, well, let's do that. Paul's letter to Philemon. It was written during one of Paul's many imprisonments, and it's actually his shortest letter in the New Testament, but don't let its size trick you. It's actually one of the most explosive things that Paul ever wrote. Here's the backstory that we can piece together from details within the letter. Philemon was a well-to-do Roman citizen from Colossae who likely met Paul during his mission in Ephesus, and he became a follower of Jesus. Then later, when Paul's co-worker Epaphras started a Jesus community in Colossae, Philemon became a leader of a church that met in his house. Now, Philemon, like all household patriarchs in the Roman world, owned slaves, one of whom was named Onesimus. And at some point, these two had a serious conflict. Onesimus wronged Philemon in some way. Maybe it was theft, or maybe he cheated him. We don't exactly know. But afterwards, Onesimus ran away. Eventually, Onesimus came to Paul in prison, likely to appeal for help. And in the process, he became a follower of Jesus and then a beloved assistant of Paul. And so Paul finds himself in a very difficult and delicate situation as he writes this letter. He's going to ask Philemon not just to forgive Onesimus and receive him back, but to embrace him as a brother in the Messiah and no longer as a slave. Here's how he does it. Paul opens with a prayer, first praising Philemon and thanking God for the love and faithfulness he's shown to Jesus, to his people. And he then paves the way for his request with this line. I pray that the partnership that springs from your faith may effectively lead you to recognize all the good things that work in us, leading us into the Messiah. Now a key word here is partnership, or in Greek, koinonia. It means sharing or mutual participation. It's when two or more people receive something together and share in it, becoming partners. Paul's saying that faithfulness to Jesus means recognizing that all of his followers are equal partners who share together in the gift of God's love and grace. And for Paul, this experience of koinonia among Jesus' followers, it's not just an idea that you think about, it's something that you do in your relationships, which moves Paul onto his request. He finally brings up Onesimus. He says that he's become Paul's child in prison, meaning that Paul led Onesimus to dedicate his life and allegiance to Jesus. And so Paul and Onesimus are now family members in the Messiah. He's been serving Paul faithfully in prison. And even though Paul wants to keep him around, he knows that this unresolved conflict with Philemon 
has to be reconciled if they say that they're followers of Jesus. Which moves Paul on to his bold request that Philemon receive Onesimus back no longer as a slave, but as more than a slave, as a beloved brother in the Lord. Now, this is a really tall order. Under Roman law, Philemon had every legal right to have Onesimus punished or put in prison. And Paul's not only asking him to forgive Onesimus, but to welcome back his former slave into Colossae as a social equal, as a family member. This is way more than kindness. This is unheard of. It's freeing a slave and then treating them like a family member. It upsets the status quo of the Roman social order. Why should Philemon do such a thing? And here Paul pulls a brilliant move. He recalls that key word from the opening prayer. He says, if you're truly a partner with me, it's that Greek word koinonia again, then welcome Onesimus as if he were me. And if he's wronged you or owes you anything, charge it to me and I will repay it. So in this request, we see the heart of Paul's gospel message being acted out. It's first of all about reconciliation. It's just like he told the Corinthians. In the Messiah, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting people's sins against them. So in this situation, Paul is putting himself in the place of Jesus. He will absorb the consequences of Onesimus' wrongdoing. He will pay the cost so that he can be reconciled to Philemon. But Paul's message was about more than just a legal transaction. It's also about koinonia. Onesimus and Philemon and Paul are all equals before God. They all share the same need for forgiveness. And so the ground is level before the cross, which means that Philemon and Onesimus can no longer relate to each other as master and slave. They're family members. They're brothers in the Messiah. Or as Paul told Philemon and the whole church of Colossae, in God's new family, people are not Greek or Jewish or circumcised or uncircumcised or foreigners or uncivilized or slave or free, but the Messiah is all and is in all people. Paul closes the letter stating his confidence that Philemon will do even more than Paul's requested. And he asks him to prepare a guest room because he wants to visit as soon as he gets out of prison. And then with some final greetings, Paul ends the letter. Paul's letter to Philemon is powerful for many reasons. It's the only letter where Paul doesn't explicitly mention Jesus' death or resurrection, and this is not an oversight. He doesn't need to explain the cross with words because he's demonstrating it through his actions. Paul's embodying here the meaning of the cross. He has made himself the place through which Onesimus and Philemon are reconciled to God and then to each other. This letter also shows us that the implications of the good news about Jesus, they are extremely personal and never private. The fact that Philemon and Onesimus are now brothers in the Messiah, it makes their master-slave relationship totally irrelevant. The family of Jesus' people is the place where all are equal recipients of God's grace. It's a new kind of society, or a new humanity, as he called it in the letter to the Colossians, where people's value and social status, it's not defined by race or gender or social or economic class. In the Messiah, there are simply new humans who are equal partners who share together in God's healing mercy through Jesus. And that's what Paul's letter to Philemon is all about. How good was that, eh? Isn't it a gift to the body of Christ, those 
those Bible Project uh, videos just helping us to understand stuff. I love that, um, I love that phrase that he used, um, you know, that the ground is level, you know, before the cross. I just think that's a, a beautiful picture that we all come to the cross, broken, empty, um, sinners needing a saviour. Um, you know, all, everything else that we have um, is, is, is empty at, at the foot of the cross. Hey, I want to resist the urge, I did have this urge a little bit, um, to take this sermon into some sort of a polemic against modern slavery. I trust, so I'm not going to do that. I trust that this message uh, is one that you've heard and believe, and it's one that we've given attention to and will continue to as a, as a church through our ongoing partnership in Glocal with, with ministries like IJM, International justice mission we do live in a world that needs to hear this message of Philemon but I really did just want to take this message this morning uh, into a personal space for you to kind of think over your own life and go well, what can I get out of this uh, personally as you can imagine though that this book has helped to shape the Christian stance on slavery slavery in both the Bible times and the Roman Empire at the time of Christ was often different to the way that you and I would imagine slavery it was a foundational aspect of the their whole economic system and some estimates put the number of slaves in the Roman Empire at 30% of the total population it's big isn't it you know it's probably at least 20% but it could be as high as 30% the rich people in that society didn't own dishwashers they owned washers of dishes at best uh, you could uh, slavery in that time. You could think of it as a long contract workforce living in a family or a business kind of complex. It was a. Uh, it was the very poor working class, sort of the gig economy of the time, the live-in gig economy. Uh, but, at, but at its worst, it, 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 it was reflective of some of those images that come up uh, for us in more modern slavery. It was incredibly harsh, violent and abusive, but often it was that, um, that very poor working class. Um, with the Christian stance, ultimately, uh, becomes really universally clear. It took hundreds of years, but uh, the Christian faith was a big part of seeing systems of slavery break down and the message of Philemon, obviously a key part of that. And Christians getting to the place where they realised that, that humans needed to be viewed as created in God, God's image and how, if we're all created in God's image, can one human own another? All of us belong to God. So um, there's plenty to chew over there. I really do encourage you. I'm going to share a few personal kind of interactions with this message, but maybe go back, listen to the, the Bible project again, reread or have the scripture uh, read to you by your, by your Bible app. Um, I really do want to encourage you to stop and think about this with me right now, about what it meant for Philemon to be reconciled to Onesimus uh, and for them to reframe their relationships and go, well, well how can I actually take something out of this for myself when we look at the early church through the lens of the the book of acts and the letters uh, that, are, that are contained in our bibles we realize that they were a diverse crew and they lived this koinonia this partnership out the church was incredibly diverse across different uh, uh, across different races ac across different cultures but they were also very stratified with some who are highly educated the guy who's writing this letter sat at the 
the feet of Gamaliel. He was, he was highly, highly educated. And so the church uh, had people in it who were highly educated. It had people who were very rich and well-to-do. Patrons like Lydia, rich people who followed Jesus around like Matthew and Zacchaeus. And Philemon, the one who's being written this letter, a slave owner and a wealthy man. But at the other end of the spectrum, it had slaves like, the, like Onesimus, who has turned around here, talked about here, and lots of tradies. Fishermen, carpenters, Peter, Andrew. The early church brought people together from all different walks of life. Uh, and so should we, going out of our way to make a place for others and particularly the vulnerable. If the book of Philemon teaches us anything, surely it teaches us that. We need to do better, I reckon, at discerning the people in the church and our place in the church properly. Discerning what the church really is. The Bible talks about us as the church, as the very body of Jesus Christ. Uh, metaphors that Jesus liked was, we are one body, we are a flock. <laughs> We are one flock under one shepherd, and he's the shepherd. We are a family of brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers, uncles and aunties. It's my observation that in our generation, many who call themselves Christians do not discern the body of Christ correctly. They don't discern the body of Christ biblically. Uh, with a love for God that does not translate into an appropriate level of love and commitment uh, to his people. And that's understandable. You know, when we, and, and this is part of the challenge of this book is, of uh, what do we do with our own personal hurt? What do we do with our own personal stuff that we carry around? But I think it's very easy for our personal hurt from a particular church or a group of Christian people, or more generally, our despair at the hypocrisy or actions of the church more generally. And that can cause us to take offense where Jesus would say to us, forgive. Uh, it, it, it makes it easy for, some, for us sometimes to get cynical and opt out of meeting together and being a part of the body of Christ, where I think Jesus would say to us, have hope, have hope. And some uh, will say that they love God, but they, they, their, their love for God doesn't doesn't turn into action in the sense of putting themselves out for, for God's people, the very people that Jesus gave his very life for. And Christ would say to us as followers of him, lay your life down for one another. And so Jesus wants to say to us, forgive, have hope, lay your life down for one another. And in these types of statements, we get the real heart behind what koinonia is maybe you can resonate with one of these things i certainly have had times in my life where i could resonate with one of those three things up there on the board were they up there on the board in yellow i didn't see it yet did we see that oh sorry well we'll just leave that there for a moment and let you let you read it actually maybe i'll just let you read it by by leading us in a prayer uh, maybe you can resonate with one of these things uh, because of you know a, a hurt or um, you know that that's that's come from a particular environment or maybe just a general cynicism that's developed but jesus would say to us I forgive you. I want you to forgive others. Um, let's just pray together. Father, we do just uh, thank you for this scripture. We thank you for the way that it gets us to think about um, our relationship with the body of Christ, your people. Uh, Lord, we, we hear you say to, over our lives, I forgive you. And Lord, in our hearts, for those that perhaps we bear pain towards, Lord, we say we forgive them. 
Lord, we ask that you to replace any sense of cynicism, any sense of despair, with a sense of hope. With your sense of hope. Lord, we ask that where we feel cold uh, towards others, where we just don't feel like we want to do anything for anyone, Lord, we hear you say to us, lay your life down for them. Lay your life down for them. And Lord, we invite your spirit to take us on a journey where we'd be able to see someone that we can do something for, someone we can lay our life down for as an act of our faith before you. Lord, we just want to be soft-hearted. Lord, we want to be clay that's moldable in your hands in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks. Um, so when we think about the, uh, the, the, the conflicts and the disappointments that can go on in the body of Christ, we really shouldn't be that surprised because if we read our Bibles, we see that uh, the Bible really warns us that those things are going to happen and we see that the early church was inflicted with all sorts of issues that they needed to work out. And this book of Philemon is laying a foundation about our commitment to one another as brothers and sisters, where we learn to be reconciled, we learn to forgive, we learn to let those uh, different stratas of society that we've grown up in break down and truly treat each other as partners, as brothers. I love the way that Paul humanised and brought to life, as the Bible Project guys brought out, what Jesus himself did on the cross. In the same way that Jesus died on our behalf before the Father so that we could be forgiven, Paul throws himself right into the middle of this conflict between Philemon and Onesimus and says, count it against me. Jesus says to the Father, count it against me, Father. And it's on that basis that we are forgiven. And Paul, as the beloved father in the relationship to both Philemon and Onesimus, is throwing himself in the middle and saying, count it against me. What a beautiful way uh, for us to think about how our relationships within the body of Christ are supposed to work. So I think there's two really good ways for us to interact with this material. One is through the person of Philemon and the other is through the eyes of Onesimus. Philemon is given a huge challenge by Paul to allow the way that he's been brought up to sort of break down and for him to treat somebody else as an equal. Paul is not instituting a societal revolution here. It was a spiritual revolution. Onesimus was returning as both slave and a brother. Philemon is challenged on the basis of Onesimus's faith to forgive and release the debt that Onesimus owned him owes him and Paul as I said put himself right in the middle count it against me Philemon I wonder if perhaps in our relationships that are running a little bit threadbare with other believers if we could actually think about it in those sort of personal terms of that person that we love and respect the most as a Christian brother or sister was saying to us count your other brother's sin against me. Maybe that brings the, what Jesus has done for us to life in a different way. That's exactly what Paul did. He's, he's pointing towards Jesus and saying, Jesus is the one who's forgiven us. But if it's helpful to you, Philemon, count Onesimus' sin against me, your father uh, in the faith. And so what is the application that we might gain through Philemon? Who is it that you look down on? 
Where are those places where you have a power imbalance with others? Uh, it was a reflective thing for us as a family um, as Fiona's mother was getting near the end of her life and, uh, and you were probably in your mid-40s at that stage and I remember um, at a, a really vulnerable moment where Fiona was thinking about her relationship with her mother and she, she said something like this to me. She said, even though I'm in my 40s, my mother still treats me like I'm 12. Where are the power imbalances in your life where perhaps, you know, you don't let somebody be treated as an equal? Um, maybe it's your employee. Maybe it's the, you've got some subordinate. Maybe it's your teenager. <laughs> Maybe it's your mother-in-law. Who's that person that you think is stupid? That person who's a loser? They're a scumbag, etc. And maybe it's in those relationships that you can most personally apply the book of Philemon here. Maybe you carry a bit of academic snobbery. You know, this person's less educated. What could they treat me? Maybe you carry a bit of self-righteous snobbery. I'd never do that. Scumbag, loser. So what's the application? Count that person's shortgiving, shortcomings against Jesus. Or No, hang on. Count that person's shortcomings against the person, the Christian brother or sister that you love and respect the most. Maybe that's a helpful thing. And by doing so, we can actually create freedom in that person's life by adopting a different posture. A posture that Jesus came to show us how to live. So can I encourage you, as you go from here today, just be thinking about the person of Philemon and thinking, is there someone that I actually need to change up my relationship with them and begin to not treat them as a superior, but actually to treat them as a brother? Um, you know, the, the scripture says to consider others as more important than yourself. And surely, if we're going to consider someone else as more important than ourselves, we have an ear to listen to them, an ear to ask questions about what they believe and why they believe and actually count, you, you know, sort of listen on in. Okay, we need to move on. Let's switch to Onesimus. There are often beautiful textures in the scriptures that we can lose without help from people who have studied the language and the cultures of those ancient times. And in and around the person of Onesimus, there is, this, is, uh, there, this letter is no exception. It turns out that in the midst of the beautiful warmth and the personal touch of this letter, but it's also a challenging letter, Paul is making his appeal to Philemon with some beautiful plays on words around Onesimus's name. Onesimus's name literally means useful. Did you... Here a couple of times on the way through the term of he's useful or he's not useful and that sort of thing. Um, in verse 11, the key verse, at one time he was of no use to you, but now he is useful both to you and to me. And I'm sending him back to you now and with him goes my heart. Paul amplifies this later um, down in verse 20 by saying that he would get great joy and benefit if Philemon was to take Onesimus back. And this word that's translated joy or benefit is also a play on the word useful. It comes from the same idea. So um, Philemon's name meant useful and Paul kind of plays this off about the usefulness of Philemon in an ongoing way. I was trying to think what's a way in English that we might kind of be able to illustrate this. I don't know about you 
But I've been a bit curious about that man called Nick. Nick Curious. And in one part of this letter, Paul's doing that. He's taking a word that sounds a little bit like Onesimus and, and using it against Onesimus's name. And the word that he used literally means without Christ. So Onesimus is now with Christ, but a little bit like Curious or Curious. He plays that sort of a game. But then he also uses his name exactly by, you know, in the same way that we might with Nick, by saying he got to that volley just in the nick of time. And so he's playing these games with Onesimus's name and he's really pointing out that God has taken the useless Onesimus and turned him into something useful. And so I put the words up there on the screen. I really believe that Onesimus should be our patron saint of usefulness. And so I'd really like to ask you as we finish up our time together this morning, how can you be inspired by the patron, patron saint of usefulness? I'd like to encourage you to see that the body of Christ um, is a body. He made us to fit together. The arm, to be useful, needs an elbow and a wrist. And the hand, to do hand stuff, can only do hand stuff if the fingers cooperate to each other. This is a beautiful picture of the body of Christ. And Onesimus, who was useless, is now useful. Onesimus, who was without Christ, is now with Christ and has a purpose. One of the beautiful things when we come to faith in Jesus uh, is that we become doers of the Lord's will and we find a usefulness, we find a place to serve. And so I'd really like to encourage you, uh, in honour of the patron saint of usefulness, to find somebody you like who's doing something you like Something you reckon is putting a smile on God's face and find a way to help them. And uh, I really believe that the body of Christ and New Vine as an expression of that is at its best where brothers and sisters come together and say, hey, maybe we could do this together. Maybe we could start this ministry, run this group, reach out to these people. So find somebody that you like, who's doing something you like, something that you reckon is putting a smile on God's face and find a way to help them be useful. So could I ask the uh, musos to come back? I've got those two sort of thoughts to leave with you today. Um, the patron saint of usefulness and Philemon, uh, a symbol for us of going, how can I let go of a sense of superiority that I have in an area of my life and elevate a brother to a place of freedom. Could I, could I invite you to stand with us? Uh, I'm just going to pray a prayer around that. Perhaps if uh, something's really resonated for you and you'd like some personal prayer this morning, I'll certainly uh, hang around up here at the front and we'll gather some people to pray with you if there's something. But, but I, my message to you really is take these two men away in your brain and ponder it and ask the Holy Spirit to bring some light to it. And I'm sure he will uh, bring some new things into your life. Father God, we do just thank you for the way that your scripture uh, oh, causes our heart to, 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 to fly. Lord, we thank you for this letter. It's, it's beautiful in so many ways. Lord, we thank you for these two men. Uh, Lord, there's every indication that, that Philemon read this letter with an open heart and it transformed that little church at his place lord that went on then to become quite influential in its uh in its time and in its city 
Father God, we just ask that uh, your Holy Spirit would just draw our attention to one or two things that we can take away from here this morning. Lord, and we say we'll do it. Lord, you show us we'll do it. Lord, we ask that you'd show us those people that we need to elevate up as a brother or sister in Christ and really treat them with, with dignity and honour in a way that our heart's never been able to in the past. And Lord, we ask too that you'd show us maybe somebody that we can add value to. Lord, we can put our lot in with them and we can kind of be the elbow to their arm or the wrist to their hand and help them to do whatever it is you're calling them to do. Father, we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Be glorified, we ask. Amen.